Happy Friday from the Arctic. <laughs> I'm freezing. It is so cold in this basement right now. I am huddled around what's left of my lukewarm cup of coffee. It's not really doing me any good, but it is cold. But first, let me tell you, do you notice the difference? It's no longer brown in here. It's blue. Anyway, I just like to give you a little peek into my real life. Just so you know that I'm real. We painted. Painted the whole basement that color. And I'm so happy about it. When I walk in, it's like, hello, Angie. Anyway, do colors speak to you? They do to me. It's not what we're talking about today, though. What we're talking about is oneness. This is what's on God's heart for us. And he just very simply said to me, as I was pondering, do you know, you, we, we, we find ourselves like pondering different thoughts. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, um, Holy Spirit tends to interject his own in the middle of all of my thoughts. And, and I can't, honestly, I cannot even remember what it was that I was thinking about, but this is what he said to me, where oneness is lacking, there is an altar to die upon. And I thought, like I often do. Ouch. Oh my gosh, you guys, we have like a million more deaths to die, right? Like we really do. We have a million more deaths to die when it comes to this idea of, of oneness. And if you don't think that this includes you, I hope that you catch yourself in the midst of um, the evidence today maybe even within the hour. Yep. Because we're always thinking in terms of separation from each other, whether it's trying to one up one another or the offense that we carry with one another, the annoyances that we carry with one another. Anytime that, that we are, are not regarding one another like we do ourselves, or like we do the Lord, that's probably a better example, right? Like we do Jesus. We have plenty of deaths to die. So I'm going to say it one more time. This is what he said. Where oneness is lacking, there is an altar to die upon. And I want to read through John 17. This is something that most of us are probably familiar with. But this is where Jesus reveals his heart concerning our union, our oneness, and and what it's like for us to live as one. And we see examples of this expressed in the book of Acts. You know, it's like one of my favorite places to go to find examples of the power of union. I prefer the word oneness because it just, for my mind, it gives me a better picture of what it is. And, and I, I've made up a word over the years, although I swear I heard it somewhere. But listen, we've all heard things somewhere. But commingled, we are commingled into oneness with one another. I know we're comfortable with the idea of being commingled into union with Christ. But when we throw in the totality of oneness, that's where we start to be like, I don't know if I want that. And and here's here's a very um, here's a a, a very uh, extreme example. Let's just say, hi, hello, honey. 
Um, oh gosh, that distracted me. Um, uh, extreme example of oneness that whatever it is that that well, let's let's take marriage for example. If if there is something, um, oh, let's let's go super extreme. Adultery, right? We're talking about marriage. That is the example on the earth today of of oneness. It's covenant. It's binding. It's um. It, it's unbreakable, and except for in this one little caveat of adultery, where that that's the one thing that can um can legally, if you will, break that covenant, that oneness, and, um, for multiple reasons, use your imagination. And, um, but here's, here's, here's the extreme example is in those spaces, we can either, we can either choose oneness or we can choose adultery, right? Like we can, we can choose, like, let's say that there is, there is an adulterous affair and, and God is actually like calling you to work it out. He's not, you know, there's permission, you can walk away or whatever, but what if he's calling you to work it out? What if he has something intended for your life together and and there is grace to work that out? You can either identify as the adulterer, right? Or you can identify as wholeness in what's been offered through the cross, right? And I understand like there are, I'm using extreme examples on purpose there are a hundred million examples that we could use when we're talking about oneness, but you understand what I'm saying. I'm using the extreme. I understand in in situations of abuse, et cetera, et cetera. This is just a blanket example, okay? I'm not telling you anything. I'm just using an example. So we when we want to um, place blame on somebody else, we have to also place that blame on ourselves. That is the extreme power of oneness. When when we're enfolded into Christ, when we have looked into his face and say, yeah, I want that life, we are brought into a network of oneness where um, what you have, I have, right? And that's the, that's the example that we have in in the book of Acts. This is how they did life together is whatever, whatever one another had, they had, they didn't see, they didn't see that the, their possessions as their own. In fact, they were so extreme that they went and sold everything for the cause of Christ. And, and they, they gave up, they gave up material possessions, but look what they gained, right? Like every time they added numbers to their group or any time that there was a um there was a, a problem or, or someone was beaten or someone was imprisoned and released you know there there was always this brand new release of glory that they all got to encounter now this is an awesome trade off where you know like with without giving up um, our rights, our possessions, um, they, they wouldn't have encountered the glory the way that they did. In, in our context today, it's, it's the few and far between that get to encounter 
that level of glory because we don't have a right understanding of oneness. Okay, so I I want to I want to read through um, John seventeen, and I am just going to read the whole thing, and um, and then I want to get into uh, something else in in regards to this. Okay, first one: these things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, "Father, the hour has come." Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and him whom you have sent Jesus Christ. I love that. Eternal life is knowing the father eternal life. We cannot have enough reminders about this. Eternal life is knowing the father now, right? Like we step into eternal life when we know the father, when we submit ourselves to the lordship of the father, when we see him as the king of all kings, we step into eternal life. It's not in the sweet by and by that we get to experience eternal life. It's now on the way home from basketball games last night a song came on and some worship songs just great against me and it was talking about oh in the sweet by and by this is what it'll be like I'll be surrounded by your glory blah 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 and the thing is is like why are we waiting Why are we waiting to experience that level of glory at the point of, of death? You know, like that's ridiculous. It's now like our job is to pull that level of glory down to the earth. Now as sons and daughters, just like Jesus did, right? Just like God handed him the glory of sonship to spread to the disciples And so they got to experience it. They got to see what it looks like to be a son in the house of the Lord on the earth, right? That's so awesome. So powerful. Okay. Uh, Four, I have glorified you on earth, finishing the work which you have given me to do. And now glorify me along with yourself, Father, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that all that you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and knew truly I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. I ask concerning them. I do not ask concerning the world, but concerning those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all that is mine is yours and yours mine. And I have been glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, yet they are. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one even as we are. Can you feel the heart of Jesus here? I love John 17 because the heart of Jesus 
is so revealed in this chapter where you can feel his emotion toward humanity. I just want them to experience all that I have, right? This is oneness. This is the essence of oneness where Jesus, who has everything, right? He has everything. And he knows that where he's going, he's going to have even more. All authority will be his. He'll have full reign over everything. And he's going like, Father, let's be lavish. And what it is that we give them, like, let's give them everything. They have withheld nothing from us. And this is the nucleus of oneness, that we would withhold nothing from one another. But we do. But we do. I mean, let's like freely confess that. Father, I withhold. I withhold. Help me to not withhold. I forgot where I was. Verse 12. When I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy made full in themselves, still lavishing. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them out of the hands of the evil one. Ah, what a prayer. Keep them in the world. Keep them influencing. Keep them pouring out. Keep them giving. Keep them standing. But also keep them safe. Right? Not neat. Like even in, in oneness, we're guarded. We're protected. It's, it's when we withhold and create separation in the body that we have problems, that we run into the evil one. That's powerful. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is the truth. I'm going to say it again. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. You guys, we need truth today more than we ever have. We need discernment to know what truth is. Verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. This is important. And I do not ask concerning these only, but concerning those also who believe into me through their word, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. He's talking about sonship, 
the glory of sonship, right? The glory which you have given me, I have given them. He's revealed sonship to them. Remember when Jesus is asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter has this revelation where he's like, because they answer it first. Well, some say, you know, some say that you're Elijah. Others say that. And Peter's like, oh my gosh, right? You're him. You're the Christ. You're the one that our people have been, been waiting on. You are the for some of them, the fairy tale that has been passed down generation to generation. He's the one. He's the one. And Peter's holding the revelation of the Christ. And now his eyes are open and he's like, what a moment. What a moment. And Jesus commends him. He's like, oh, Peter, this isn't just knowledge that you have. You just experienced revelation. The father enfolded you into revelation and Jesus responds. (laughs) And upon that rock, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? I will build my church. The knowledge of Jesus Christ and the oneness therein, I will build my church. And the, and the, 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 how does it say? And the gates of hell? Why am I saying it like that? Is that right? Anyway hell will stand no chance. I like that. Do you like that? Okay. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected into one, perfected into one. If you're looking for perfection, there's only one way to it. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, concerning that which you have given me, I desire that they also may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will yet make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I also in them. (sighs) Good luck separating that. I mean, Jesus just tangled that whole thing up. It always reminds me of Christmas lights. And if you're anything like me, I'm not very patient. And I would just assume throw the whole strand away and tangle it. Some things are meant to be tangled. And our union with one another and with Christ is one of them. We are meant to be tangled up into union, into oneness, co-mingled into the love of Christ, into the knowledge of the Father. It's just who we are. It's how we were made. We were made to to become one and and to prefer one another, to want the best for one another. There's evidence right there. 
when when we have jealousy's voice speaking louder than union and we don't want each other to have what's best now hi lisa i didn't even see you sneak sneak on you have snuck on we're talking about oneness um on monday vince talked about oh gosh i don't even remember what the the topic was right off I know there was a topic. Maybe you should put it in the comments. <laughs> but he was talking about Abraham and and Isaac and and how faith, thank you. Um and 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 how it took faith. I mean, we know that that Abraham in the book of Hebrews is known as the father of faith, right? Wow, what a thing. And um and isn't the father kind? right? Like he's so kind. He's so kind to, he always is, is found calling things that aren't as though they are right. Because we know that, that Abraham attempted to, to make things um, happen in his own strength. And, um, uh, and he still, God wanted him to be known as the father of faith. And that's just absolutely beautiful but um if you didn't catch monday's broadcast go back and listen to it in fact if you didn't know we throw all of our our live broadcasts into our podcast just because we know that sometimes on the go it's easier to to grab hold of a podcast and um than it is to actually have a video running so um you can uh, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe Vince can even magically make a, a link appear. <laughs> I don't know, but um, everything is on our, our podcast. So if that's more convenient for you, go and grab that. But however you do it, do it, right? Like go and listen to it because it was really powerful. He laid out um, different scenarios of how that whole thing could have gone down. And um, it, it was, it was Anne-Marie. It was really good. It was powerful. And, um, and it, in the middle of it, when he was talking about Abraham taking his son up this mountain, oh my gosh. I mean, and I, I always, always imagine this as, you know, Isaac's young, he's a child and, um, and, and that's not the case. Isaac is a man. <laughs> and, and so both of them are playing a role here. There is complete submission and, um, and, and then there is, then there is faith, right? Like Abraham is carrying this, this fatherly faith. And in the middle of Vince's teaching, um, I, I just heard very clearly the father say that this is the apostolic anointing that, um, and I'm just going to read to you what it is that, that God said to me. He said, the apostolic is comfortable with death. Their life has been enfolded into life himself through a thousand deaths. And so we must be willing as, as an apostolic people, we must be willing to, to be comfortable with death because the people that God will bring to us have a thousand deaths to die, you know? And, and are we like father, 
Father, Father Abraham, hello, that's funny. Are we like Abraham going to be willing to carry the sons and daughters up that mountain to teach them how to lay them their lives down? Are we willing to do that? And um, if you don't know, um, Mount Moriah is associated with myrrh and, and myrrh definitely is symbolic of spiritual death or death itself. We know that the, that the Magi brought frankincense, gold and myrrh and, and to, to Jesus as a child, as a baby. And, um, and it was symbolic of the death that he would die. And, and, and so why on earth we have thought that we can escape that, that level of death is beyond me. We love, we love to talk about resurrection, but you cannot get to resurrection without the cross. It's impossible. We, we have to embrace the power of the cross for ourselves and for one another. And this is, this is an area that has not been discipled well. We, we have been more interested in coffee dates with, um, here in America anyway, with those we are discipling and it does not look like death at all. It looks like the discipler, you know, like we're drawing people back into ourselves rather than pushing them into the sacrificial life in Christ. And, um, and so we need to be very mindful of what it is that we're doing when we're calling something discipleship, because the first step is you must die. You must die. We have got to be willing to carry the essence of death for the people that want to be like Christ. And and I I have been in this swirl over the last couple of weeks of like there are voices that I value and everybody's coming from a different angle right now with passion, right? Like with passion. And 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 so much of it is like um you know there there's the 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 grace camp. Hi Rolinda. And, um, and, and they're like, everything's been done. It's been finished. Yes, it has. And we are to model that sacrificial life. And, and so when I was talking to, when I was talking to Jesus about this a few days back, he just simply said, Angie, what has been done, what you were brought up in worked for the age that you were living in. But where these kids, where this next generation is going, they need a greater level of discipline, of discipleship than you did. They're going to see things and experience things that we never had to. And so it's really important that as an apostolic movement, we have to model being a living sacrifice. Ah, hi, Aunt Jackie. Thank you. We have to. It is the call that is on our lives right now. And if you've been following us at all, you know that over the last probably nine months, um, God has been calling us a house of myrrh. He is asking us to steward well 
a, a sacrificial lifestyle of what it looks like to follow Christ? Are we willing to carry people up? And I do want you to understand that it is up, right? Like Abraham carried him up. Like he took him up a mountain. Like it is a higher life for us to do so. Are we willing to lead people up higher to become a living sacrifice? Yes, it's a laid down life, but it's higher. I think Pepper says deeper up. Is that how she says that, Vince? <laughs> deeper, deeper up. Yes. And in context of, of rising up high places, it's, it's deeper up. Like we have to go deeper in, but we're going up. And listen, this is where the choicest fruits are found, are in these high places of becoming a living sacrifice. It is no small thing to model Christ. It's no small thing. And this isn't absent before you start like wandering off into Neverland. This isn't absent of, of joy. This is the epitome of joy. You want authentic joy that isn't just fleeting happiness? Go deeper up. It's the way. We know that narrow is the way. It's a narrow road. To follow Jesus is a narrow road, and I'm afraid that we have made it the broad way that he warns against. We have broadened the path and we've said, oh, he's so accepting. You can come. Oh, you can come. Oh, bring your junk with you. Bring your nasty lifestyle with you. It can't fit in Christ, but go ahead. Bring it with you. Narrow is the road deeper up. You can't bring any old thing with you. On the way up, you must die. You have to. It's the lifestyle we've been called to. If you go and read anything about the, the first generation after Christ, they are emulating the sacrificial life of Jesus Christ. If we actually want to look like him, if we actually want to release this glory that he's talking about in John 17, we have to embrace being a living sacrifice. Hi, Chris. It's an honor to be called to this life. It is. It's a privilege. Talk about privilege. Oh my gosh. It's a privilege be, to be known as sons and daughters of glory. And the thing is, is we've been spurting out measures of glory that are tainted with all kinds of things. Our compromise and our tolerance have tainted this lifestyle and has made the path broad. We've just honestly, this is the way we like to think about it is we are, we are living gates, right? We are the gates as the church. We are the gates. 
It's what Jesus handed off to us to steward, right? We have dominion. And as the gates, and this is where it's really important that we we see ourselves as one, like we are the gates, no matter what generation you have been raised up in, we are the gates. We are all responsible for what has gone through the gates. Healing is ours to steward. Wholeness is ours to steward. Glory is ours to steward. Anything that the world is riddled with right now has come right through the gates of the body of Christ. You want to know why cancer is at an all-time high? The gates have not been on guard. We've let any old thing come through. Any old thing come through. If you go back and read Romans 1, it talks about this. It talks about the compromise. And in, in our minds, we become demented, honestly. It's, it's demented mindsets that allow anything through the gates. But it's okay. Now we know, right? Now we know. We have to stand guard. We have to be mindful about what's coming through the gates. And before you like diminish your role in this and start thinking, yeah, well, I I don't really have a, a leadership role in the church. I don't really, you know, I don't have a platform. So what? So what? Take responsibility. Ask him, what is my role in this thing? You want your nation turned back to God? Well, first lay down the political and the religious spirit, right? Like get that thing exterminated because we can't have mixture. We have to stand as pure gates, gates that are worthy of the king of glory to come waltzing through. And he's not coming through any old gate, right? Lift up your heads, oh, you gates. Lift them up. For the king of glory is looking for a gate to come walking through. Is it going to be yours? Are you going to take responsibility? And turn things back that don't belong through the gates of the body of Christ. We have to ask, what kind of bride is Jesus worthy of? What kind of bride is he worthy of? We know that he's the Lamb of God who's worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. What are you willing to offer him? What's he worthy of? I can tell you that that he's worthy of more than a cancer-ridden body. And I'm not speaking of the disease only. Compromise is cancerous. It spreads like wildfire. We have to hold the line, you guys. We need a revelation of holiness. Desperately. 
desperately. And we can't just wander around and, and you know, bear the, the title of something. It's his name. It's his name. We wear his name. We're armored with his name. What's your role? What are you willing to do? See, the disciples didn't wait for someone to shine a spotlight on them and to to prophesy over them for 10 years before they took their first step. They knew Christ. They knew what he was worthy of. They knew the life he lived. And they saw it as an honor, as a privilege to bear the same wounds in their body that he did. They weren't afraid to die. And we're talking about physical death. They weren't afraid to be beaten. We are. We're afraid of that. We're we're afraid to have somebody scar our reputation, let alone our physical body. We still have a thousand deaths to die. That's okay. Holy Spirit will lead us. Holy Spirit will lead us. We need to be asking, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Not with just the things that make me feel good about being yours. Fill me up with great courage. Fill me up with boldness. Fill me up with so much of you that there is no room for a political spirit. That there is no room for a religious spirit. Because there's no room for mixture. He's looking for an authentic expression of his love. Is that going to be you? Are you in or are you out? Because those are the only two ways on this narrow road. You either want to go deeper up or you want to be like the rest of Israel and just stay at the back the base of the mountain and go ahead and build your golden calf and worship that the rest of your days, because there's no other way. You either have idols taking up all the space in your life, or you are on your way up. Carrying out this sacrificial lifestyle that is called for living sacrifices. It's no longer calling for the blood of goats and lambs just yours. Just yours. Are we prepared for what is ahead? Yeah. Are we prepared for what? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question, Rolinda. Are we prepared for what's ahead? And I think so many of us are so comfortable sitting in our living rooms on our cushed little couches, watching the news and complaining.
you have eyes to see the problem, you have the spirit to create a solution. It will take everything. He's looking for laid down lovers. Those who will lay themselves down on the altar. Yeah. Complaining and then yelling into the echo chambers we've created. Yep. And it's not just about us laying ourselves down, like I said. It's not just about us laying ourselves down at the altar. No. We have to hold the line of discipleship. What does this look like? We have to be like Abraham, willing to take the promise up that mountain, right? And lay it down. On Wednesday night, we had our warrior worship Wednesday, like we've been doing for the last several weeks. And and Pepper instructed us all to take turns just praying. And, um, and I thought, God, I don't even know what to pray in this moment. And, um, and then, you know how we do, like we get nervous about, ah, ah, performance anxiety. <laughs> Can I just be real with you? <laughs> and, um, and I thought, pray through me, you know, that's the best thing we can do. Just pray, pray through me. Because he's always interceding so we can tap into the intercession of Jesus. Jesus. This is wisdom, you guys. Jesus, what are you praying right now? And he reminded me. He reminded me of a, a prophecy spoken over mine and, and John's lives 23 years ago. And, and what Pepper was instructing us to pray. We have a conference, if you haven't heard. We have a conference. This is a shameless plug. We have a conference coming up July 7th through the 9th called Ruins. And um, and um, so that's what we were praying about is like, uh, Jesus, who do you want here? You know, that kind of thing. And um, so anyway, he reminded me of that prophecy and and he was just like, call it in. And what he said over us was, you will house an entire generation. And in that moment to pray those words, which really came out more like a declaration, you said, right? You said that we would house an entire generation. Jesus, let them come. And as I began to really like contemplate, oh my gosh, you're giving us an entire generation of Isaacs because it's a promise. Prophecy is a promise, right? You've given us an entire generation of Isaacs, Lord Jesus, help us steward them well. Help us be willing to apostolically carry them up that mountain of Moriah and teach them to be living sacrifices. It's 
It's where we're at. It's just where we're at. It's all about the narrow way. And that looks like something. The fun thing is, is that resurrection is always on. The power of resurrection life is always on the backside of death. Always. Always. It's well worth it to lay yourself down. It is. And and the thing is, it's like, how do we miss it? How do we miss the part where it says that it's going to cost us everything to follow him? (laughs) It's just the most ridiculous thing. I I, I go back and I think about all of the hundreds (laughs) of altar calls for salvation that I've heard over my lifetime. And, and, and it's all about the ooey gooey goodness parts, all of it. It's all about that. I have seldom heard people lead a, a, a call to salvation by saying, come die. Come die. Come lay your life down. But all we have to do is look no further than Saul to Paul, right? Talk about a death. This man has a prominent seat. This is what he has trained for his entire life. And he's there. He's made it. He's arrived. He is one of the religious elite. And he's on his way to make sure those who bear the name of Jesus Christ die. What he didn't know is they were already dead. And Jesus takes him down. It's a glorious takedown. Blinds him and unseats him from his religiosity. And he teaches him how to die in three days. Talk about the power of resurrection life. This is this is wild. This is a wild scene. Three days, he's blind. Three days, he's sitting there in sheer darkness. And he sprouts up in the power of resurrection like nobody else. I mean, this is just insane. He gets up. He's, well, first, let's not skip the part where Jesus sends somebody in who's scared to death of this man because he's killing everybody who, you know, bears the name of Jesus. And, but Ananias comes in anyway. And, and, and the, the, it's like shackles fall off of his eyes. Shackles, is that right? I don't even know, but you know what I'm saying. Like the stuff falls off of his eyes <laughs> and, and he can see. And the first thing that happens is he's baptized in the power of the spirit. And before you think this is any like small moment, I want you to realize that this is the same rushing wind, the same tongues of fire that hit a single man that hit the room full of disciples. Same power. Then he goes and he's baptized in the death of Jesus Christ. And the man starts preaching that day. He starts proclaiming the lifestyle 
of Jesus Christ. He starts proclaiming who Jesus is, and he's never even met him. And I love it that in the book of Peter, he says, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. I think that there was probably always this tinge of jealousy between Peter to Paul because Peter walked with Jesus and he he, he messed up on a regular basis <laughs> and is even called out and corrected by Paul at one point in the book of Galatians. And this man, he didn't walk with Jesus and look at his life. Talk about deeper up, right? He scaled that Mount Moriah in a single moment. But we know how his life plays out. And this man dies a thousand deaths. He does. And the thing is, is God can use you anywhere in any capacity. In the days of platform, they're done. He's just looking for people willing to die. Father. Help us to commit to the narrow way. Teach us your ways all over again. Train us to train others. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for the apostolic anointing that is hitting the earth today. That we would stand as mothers and fathers willing to carry the Isaacs up Mount Moriah to lay them down. To show them the way, the narrow way that leads to life and more life. That we would teach them to be enfolded into oneness. What a call, what an honor, what a privilege to be those who are called to emulate you, Jesus. Help us to steward this well. To make much of who you are. We love being yours. We love being called by your name. Amen. All right, friends. Blessings, blessings, blessings. We'll talk soon.